Good morning. Most of you know me, I'm Brenda Layton. I think Wisconsin's gonna put a picture of our family up here. This is my husband, Todd, and my daughters, Sienna, Isabella, my son, Isaac, and our youngest daughter, Maria. We had a nice trip to the lovely Venice there. So Todd and I began attending Mountain View back in 1998. And um, I became a Christian at this church. In June of 1999, I was baptized here by John Mason down in the youth room, which was our sanctuary at the time. My friend Michelle's here. She was baptized with me that day. 20 years, Michelle. How in the heck? Okay. Here's a picture, circa 1998. As you can see, Todd even had hair in 1998. I, okay. So it's been a while, but this is my first time preaching at Mountain View, and so I'm excited, and I hope that God, what God has to say will come through in my words today. Let's pray one more time. Father God, this is a tough passage. I ask you to send the power of your Holy Spirit to intervene and provide wisdom and understanding. I thank you for this opportunity today to share a bit about the incredible ways that you're providing for us, for your perfect plan and your perfect timing. Thank you that you are never surprised by the trials of this life, and thank you for the hope you've given us through your son, Jesus Christ. May this message glorify you and encourage those who hear it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I'm kind of, I guess what you might call a hardcore planner, who can relate. <laughs> My friends and family will tell you that once a plan is set in motion, I have a really hard time adjusting course if things change. I don't like surprises, unless it's jewelry or flowers, Todd Layton. <laughs> and I'm the opposite of spontaneous. I had to look up the opposite of spontaneous when I wrote that, and it means carefully planned. I may be really bad at changing plans, but I'm really good at making them. I'm also not a very patient person, so not only am I a planner, but I'm an impatient planner. It's not always a great combination. Not many people know this, but I pretty much had my whole wedding planned out before Todd proposed. <laughs> I knew the date I wanted and the venue, so I went ahead and booked it. I bought the dress months before he popped the question. <laughs> well, 22 years later, I guess that one worked out okay. Um, but as you know, life doesn't always go according to plan. In the summer of 2001, after four years of marriage, Todd and I decided we wanted to start our family. Being a hardcore planner, I timed the pregnancy so that the baby would be born in May. I was working as a speech therapist for a local school district, and a May baby would give me just the maximum amount of maternity leave. Everything was going just according to my schedule until my first doctor's appointment. Turns out we were expecting twins. <laughs> there they are. <laughs> then um, at 28 weeks of pregnancy, I went into premature labor, and I was put on strict bed rest. I had to use all of my sick leave, and then the twins were born a month premature on April 23rd. I suppose you might have heard the saying that if you wanna make God laugh, tell him your plans. 
I personally believe God must have an incredible sense of humor. My twins are now 17, and along with my other children are the greatest, one of the greatest gifts God has ever given me. Some changes of plans can be amazing. Other times, it can feel like the ground is crumbling beneath you. In the spring of 2007, Bella and Sienna had just graduated from Praise and Promise Preschool. I had recently quit my job and started private practice as a speech therapist. We had moved into a new-to-us older home. The well water test came back that the water was undrinkable, so we were forced to drink from bottled water for a few weeks. This turned out to be a huge blessing because it was the first way that we realized Sienna was constantly thirsty. I reasoned that it was almost summer and things were getting warmer. Yeah, that's not really a thing in Western Washington. <laughs> it made sense in my head at the time. It was a very busy time for us with a new house and a new business, so somehow I didn't even notice that Sienna had lost 10 pounds off of her already tiny frame. If Sienna ate a cupcake, she would often throw up. I reasoned she must be allergic to frosting or the dye in frosting. I was in such denial about the situation that when I finally made an appointment at Marysville Family Medicine, we stopped at Baskin and Robbins for ice cream on the way. When we arrived, Dr. Clark tested Sienna's blood sugar on a standard glucometer. The number was higher than the meter could read. It was probably in the 600s. A normal blood sugar is between 80 and 100. Hal very calmly explained to me that I needed to take Sienna to Seattle Children's Hospital emergency room, but that I might want to go home and pack a bag first. I thought that sounded crazy. We were, of course we wouldn't be spending the night. She seems healthy enough to me. Well, it turns out that we spent three nights and four days to learn how to care for our child with type 1 diabetes. Type 1 is an autoimmune disease, which means that something triggered Sienna's body to begin attacking itself, specifically the insulin-producing beta cells of the pancreas. Sienna's body no longer produces her own insulin, and she's completely reliant on synthetic insulin to survive. I wish I could tell you that the past 12 years we've figured this disease out. But it seems the harder you try to figure out type 1, the harder it resists. The, reali the reality is this disease continues to be one of the biggest challenges of our lives. It's been a pretty big change of plans. It kind of seems like if you have one child with a life-threatening illness, you should just be able to check that box and get a free pass for all the other diseases. But again, that's not how life works. In 2015, Isaac's teacher came to me alarmed that seemingly overnight, his reading fluency had dropped two grade levels. It took us a while to notice what are called absence seizures. Absence seizures look like a brief pause. So Isaac would just kind of look up at the ceiling like this and come right back. It took us a long time to notice it. Here's Isaac when he's 10. This is his birthday, and that's the first day that I, I started noticing the seizures. So we took Isaac to Children's Hospital, and we were assured that absence seizures are very common and easy to control with medication. Unfortunately, this was not to be the case with Isaac. The medications typically used to treat absence seizures did not work for him, and Isaac began having hallucinations because of the high dose he was taking, and then he began having tonic-clonic or grand mal seizures. 
The neurologist Isaac was assigned to at Children's Hospital was a specialist in neuro-oncology, not epilepsy. He didn't have the experience to treat what was later diagnosed as intractable ep epilepsy, which basically just means it doesn't respond to typical treatment. I know that many of you were praying for Isaac during this time. And I believe it's because of those prayers that we were led to just the right doctor at Swedish Hospital who was able to wean Isaac off the old medications and get him onto the right medications to achieve a seizure-free status. I love this picture of Isaac because he had to do these 24-hour EEGs, which were really hard, but he loved the room service. <laughs> it was unlimited. So he would just order dish after dish. He still says, when can we go for another 24-hour EEG, Mom? It's kind of expensive room service, really. So anyway, we got Isaac seizure-free, and we had three glorious years of seizure-free time. And I will be forever grateful for those carefree days that Isaac, <laughs> well, jumping ahead, <laughs> that Isaac was able to swim, bike, and just be a kid. Guys, God even showed his sense of humor once again and gave us what we called our rainbow after the storm, our beautiful Maria. Yep, this planner had a very unplanned baby. <laughs> I love to tell people that God healed Isaac and then gave us a bonus. My daughter Bella put it, then Maria came and everything was better. Maria continues to be a ray of sunshine in our lives. However, we experienced another change of plans this past June when Isaac began having tonic-clonic seizures again. He actually had his first one right down the hall here in the kitchen, outside the kitchen, and I feel like that was God's provision because I was here with my family. All of you, a lot of you were here with me. We weren't alone. But we were completely heartbroken to feel like we had to begin this journey again because we thought that storm had passed. Okay, so what has God been teaching me through all of this? Paul tells us that suffering produces endurance. Endurance character and character hope. And not only this, but we are to boast or exalt in our suffering. I wanna break that down a little bit and how that's looked in my life. How it's helped me to understand suffering and how it might help you. I think the first thing that we can find comfort in is just the fact that Paul is expecting that we're going to experience suffering. We may wish that choosing to follow God means our lives and the lives of our loved ones will be pain-free, that we will live in prosperity, and that God will continually shower upon blessing upon us at every turn. Unfortunately, the opposite might actually become true. For Todd and I, our children's illnesses and other difficulties that we've faced have very closely coincided to the times when we have felt right at the center of God's plan for our lives. Sienna was diagnosed with type 1 just months before Todd's first trip to Senegal. And Isaac's seizures have coincided with what we have felt to be spiritual breakthroughs in Senegal. It's hard not to feel angry with God during those times. In my darkest moments, I would sob and ask him why he was allowing this pain in our lives when we were choosing to serve him. 
His answer would always come back to me in the form of a peace that I can't explain. And a reminder that he is in control. Saying yes to God's plan doesn't mean that life will magically be wonderful here on earth. Jesus warns us to expect trouble, and we find many examples of this in scripture. Jesus was crucified on the cross when he was at the center of his Father's will. It is comforting to know that troubles are not a surprise to God. Second, Paul tells us that not only will we have troubles, but we should exult in them. What the heck? (laughs) All this suffering is supposed to make us happy? Well, not exactly, sort of. I'm going to come back to that. Paul tells us that troubles develop endurance. My Bible is NIV, and it translates endurance as perseverance. Perseverance is one of the first words that Karen and I teach our new preschoolers each year. We teach them that perseverance is not giving up, even when it's hard. Eugene's Peterson translation in the message calls perseverance passionate patience. As I mentioned before, not knowing the plan and not being in charge is hard for me. Waiting on God is also hard for me. Waiting isn't typically valued in our Amazon Prime culture. (laughs) Isaiah 40.31 tells us that those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I recently learned that the word hope in this passage comes from the original Hebrew kavah, Q-A-V-A-H, which could be more directly translated as waiting, a waiting hope. As we are waiting, God renews our strength. It turns out 1999 was kind of a big year for me. Not only was I baptized here and became a member of this church, I also received my master's degree in speech therapy, and I ran my first marathon. (laughs) Of course, running a marathon requires a lot of physical preparation, but it also requires and results in a lot of mental strengthening. When I first began running, I was always thinking about the finish line. I just wanted to be done. But when you become a long-distance runner, you have to stop thinking about the finish line and, and just enjoy the process of the run. As you can see, my first marathon took over four hours, or over five hours to complete. If I had spent those five hours thinking about just being done, I would have missed 99% of the joy of the run. I think this is part of what God's teaching us in the waiting. He's developing us in us a passionate patience, which gives us strength and provides a peace and joy that could not be developed during a sprint or an immediate provided solution. Psalm 135 through six, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word, I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. In his book, A Long Obedience, Eugene Peterson talks about his time as a night watchman in New York City. And he relates it to this psalm. He says, I did that for an entire year. I stayed awake, I studied, I learned, I visited, I gossiped. 
and I waited for the dawn. Dawn always came. The people who employed me thought it was worth several dollars an hour for me to wait through the night and watch for the morning. But I never did anything, never constructed anything, never made anything happened, happen. I waited and watched, I hoped. If I had not known that there were others in charge of the building, I might not have been content to just be a watchman and collect my pay. Nor would the psalmist have been content to be a watchman if he were not sure of God. The psalmist and the Christians waiting and watching, that is hoping, is based on the conviction that God is actively involved in his creation and vigorously at work in redemption. The waiting is never wasted. It's developing our perseverance, our passionate patience. Get a drink. <laughs> the next portion of the scripture Paul tells us is that perseverance develops character. The word character here comes from the Greek word dokime, which means proven character, the kind that comes from testing. Job 23.10, but he knows the way I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Here's a quote I found on Northern Seminary website. I quote, Job was experiencing great suffering, but he knew the refiner's fire. He would come out as gold. Suffering does not rob a Christian of their potential. Suffering plus perseverance gets them to their potential. A Christian's character cannot be inherited it's not taught. It doesn't come through Bible study or prayer. Christian character comes through testing, walking the dark road of pain or hardship or persecution. What should not stay in our lives is burned away, and what is needed in our lives grows stronger. End quote. We can boast in our troubles because, it's, because as we walk through the pain, our faith is made genuine. John Piper pointed out that this can be one of the greatest fears of the Christian life, that our faith isn't real. It's just something we learned. The proving that comes from our testing results in a faith that is authentic and personal. I'm grateful for this faith because at the age of 44, I know there will be more testing to come. I have a picture on my bedroom door to remind me of Hebrews 6.19. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. And that brings me to hope. Proving character results in hope. I have one more story to tell you. When Isaac was two and a half years old, he began having blood in his stool. There he is at two and a half. <laughs> This went on for about six months before we took him to a gastroenterologist at Seattle Children's. Yes, I've been at Seattle Children's a lot. <laughs> we scheduled a colonoscopy. The week of the colonoscopy, Todd was away on a business trip to Florida, so my mom came to help me. This was also the same week that Session was to meet to approve my accepting the children's ministry director position here at this church. One of the biggest yeses I've ever said to God in my life. As many of you know, the preparation for a colonoscopy can be a thousand times worse than the actual procedure. For a three-year-old, it was brutal. 
He was required to eat nothing but liquids for 72 hours, and the last 12 hours he was allowed nothing at all. When the colonoscopy was finally over, we were told he had a very large polyp in his colon. It had been removed during the procedure, and they said he was just fine and could even go back to preschool the next day. Little did we know that the real trial was actually just beginning. After I got Isaac home from the hospital, he became violently ill. He was vomiting every few hours and spiked a high fever. I was very reluctant to go back to the hospital. I had a sick three-year-old, six-year-old twins, and Todd was in Florida. So I called, the, I called the hospital instead. The nurse assured me that this was not a result of the procedure and that Isaac must have picked up a virus and that he would get better. Isaac's health continued to rapidly decline overnight. By the time Todd got home the following evening, I had my bag packed and we headed straight back down to Seattle Children's Emergency Room. Long story short, the surgeon had torn a small hole in Isaac's colon during the procedure. There was air and intestinal fluid in his abdomen and he was septic. A trauma surgeon came in and began describing a horrific sounding surgery that included opening Isaac's abdomen from top to bottom, taking out all of his organs to look for the tear, and cleaning things up. We were terrified. They said we could wait 12 hours to see if Isaac improved. We began to pray, and many of you began to pray with us. I so Todd decided to drive the girls back up here to Arlington, and I remember I was talking to him on the phone from the hospital room, and I was pretty much freaking out. <laughs> Isaac hadn't eaten in almost a week. He was hooked up to an IV. My vibrant little boy was so very, very sick. I said to Todd, I don't think I can do this. He said, I'm confident that Isaac's going to be okay. I said, how do you know that? Todd said, Brenda, who does Isaac belong to? Does he belong to us? I understood in that moment that if I truly believed what I claimed to believe, then Isaac was never ours to keep. He belongs to the one who created him and who loves him more than we ever could. Nothing that could happen to Isaac could change that, not even death. But Isaac didn't end up having that horrible surgery. In the night, the hole miraculously closed itself, and his numbers began to improve, and eventually his fever came down. Thank you, Jesus. So that brings me to hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God doesn't change. His rescue plan for me and for you has never changed. But Jesus changes everything. Todd asked me that day, who does God belong to? Todd asked me that day, who does Isaac belong to? <laughs> Today I'm asking the same question of you and the same question for me. Who do you belong to? And who do your plans belong to? The very things we want removed from our lives can be at the same time the things that are helping us. 
helping us to develop a passionate patience and strength for the trials of our lives, helping us to develop, develop and strengthen a genuine faith, which is worth far more than gold, 1 Peter 3, 7, and finally, resulting in a hope that will never disappoint because it's a living hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. None of this is possible by our power, but only by the power of the Holy Spirit that is given to us when we surrender our lives to Jesus. I won't stop praying for complete healing for my children, but my bigger prayer, my persistent prayer, is that they will personally know Jesus Christ and that they will continually surrender their lives and their plans to him. That God will continue to use our family in his plan and that we will all place our trust in the hope that will never disappoint the hope that's only found in him.